0: Consider with me for just a moment a few great explorations. I remember I was a young boy, Neil Armstrong, first man to step foot on the moon. Christopher Columbus, of course, the first to discover the Americas. Daniel Boone. You know, we have a Daniel Boone. Some of you know Dan. Daniel Boone, the first to blaze the trail from Virginia to Kentucky through the Appalachian Mountains down south where I'm from. Ferdinand Magellan, the first to circumnavigate the seas, and Lewis and Clark, exploring the western United States and Ponce de Leon, the search for the fountain of youth and discovered Florida. By the way, a lot of you all go down to Florida, I've noticed. That is outstanding. I've, I've got to take a cue from you all. Especially this time of year. Sir Edmund Hillary, the first to reach the summit of Mount Everest. Great explorations, and yet the greatest of them all is for you and for me to receive and to answer God's call to discipleship. Every Christian is a disciple, a learner a follower of Jesus. But not every Christian understands what it means to take personal responsibility for their own spiritual growth and to help others grow. Some exciting news is brewing. Pastor Wayne is actually in the early stages of of leading an important conversation to help Harvest Church explore and excel still more in our Christian discipleship. So stay tuned for more in months to come. But here at the start of the new year, I'd like to review just a few basics of this greatest and most important call to discipleship. And what better place than to go back to the place where people began to follow Jesus for the very first time? John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. Let me read the text for us. And just to set the context a bit, you remember the early verses of John's Gospel give this magnificent prologue, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And having introduced the theme of his gospel, John gives witness to John the Baptist's ministry. But then he pivots because John is the forerunner of Jesus himself. And that's where we pick up the text in John chapter 1, verses 35 and following. The next day... Again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we thank You for giving us window into these earliest days, and we pray that by the power of Your Holy Spirit, you would, you would take us there, that You would open the eyes of our hearts, that these encounters with the Lord Jesus then would be just as real to us tonight. would you help us? Would you wake us and open the eyes of our hearts and that we might see you, and in seeing you, we might love you, and in loving you, we might be determined to live all of our days for you, to your glory. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You notice Verses 35 through 37, there's this transition from the ministry of John to the ministry of Jesus. And then in verses 38 through 51, we're looking at two days and four encounters with Jesus. First, two disciples, Andrew and John, they encountered Jesus. Second, as a consequence, Simon encounters Jesus. Third, Philip encounters Jesus. Fourth, as a consequence, Nathanael encounters Jesus. And these earliest encounters with Jesus have a twofold significance. On the one hand, in these early disciples of Jesus, the church, we God's people, are given a reliable witness to the life and ministry of Jesus. But on the other hand, in these earliest encounters with Jesus, the church is given a reliable, even a repeatable pattern for what discipleship is all about. And that's what I want to focus on this evening. Christian discipleship, here's where we're going, is a two-sided relationship with Jesus. And first of all, I want us to consider discipleship from your side, and secondly, I want to consider discipleship from Jesus' side. It's all about a living, vibrant relationship. So consider with me, first of all, discipleship from your side of the relationship. I want to highlight three sets of verbs that teach us some very simple, not simplistic, but very simple, fundamental lessons. Number one, you seek Jesus. You seek Jesus. You hear it in what they say. Verse 38, Rabbi, teacher, where are you staying? You see it in what they do. Verse 39, They came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. Now, in that day, Jesus lived and walked among them in the flesh. But in this day, Jesus continues his ministry among us, not here on earth, but through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus said. I will come to you. The Spirit will be so identified with my ministry that to have the Spirit is to have me. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. People can point you to Jesus. That's helpful. As John said to his disciples, behold the Lamb of God. But there is no substitute for you to have personal contact with Jesus. That is essential to becoming a disciple. You must come and see Him for yourself. That's first of all, you seek Jesus. Secondly, when you seek Jesus honestly from the heart, you find Jesus. Andrew looks intently at Jesus and says to himself verse 41, "We have found the Messiah." They're looking honestly With humility, Philip looks intently at Jesus and says to himself, we, verse 45, have found Him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. What's going on here? Most people think that you only have one set of eyes. Eyes of the flesh that can see the person in front of you. But the Bible teaches that we have a second set of eyes, eyes of the heart by which we must come to see the Messiah in front of us. One of my favorite passages, John chapter 3, Nick at night. Remember this story? Nicodemus in the night comes... Rabbi, we know there's something about you. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. But miracle of miracles, he goes on to say, we have received the Spirit who is from God. Why? In order that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Eyes of the heart. He opens the eyes of the blind by the Spirit. When you seek Jesus, you find Jesus. I remember it was October 1982. I was a sophomore at the University of North Carolina. I was a churchgoer. I was a moral person. But I was not a Christian. I remember standing up in front of the congregation and saying yes to questions I had no idea what they were about. I was going through the motions. Can you relate? Is that part of your story? But I didn't even realize it, that the Spirit of God was was doing something. I didn't even know what it meant to be drawn to God, but He was working. And I found this desire to to learn more about Jesus. And I remember going to a five-night lecture series in Carmichael Auditorium in downtown Chapel Hill where Dr. Billy Graham was speaking to college students. And I remember Wednesday night, the lights went on. And I remember walking away through campus with my father. And he said to me with a proud fatherly look, you're a Christian, aren't you? And it cut like a knife because I knew I was not. I was a moral church-going person, but I was not a Christian, but I wanted to be. But the Spirit giving me a taste, I wanted to be. And that evening, I understood how I could be to come to Him through faith. I began to grow as a young Christian. I went on a missions trip and in 1984, I'm, I'm having my morning devotion, and I'm, and I'm reading through 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and, and I'm at a place in my life where I'm confused, and I, I don't know what my life is going to look like going forward. And I remember reading these words from the Apostle Paul, the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, That Christ died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised on their behalf. And it cut me like a knife to live for him, no longer for myself, but to live for him. I'm growing as a disciple. I remember one morning coming to the Lord's table. For a couple of weeks I had been reading in 1st Peter and meditating like, like like taking a passage of scripture Philippians 1st uh, Peter chapter 3 verse 18 like a tea bag and let it get steep in the, my soul just thinking about it. Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that He might bring us to God. And I remember coming to the table and the Spirit opening my eyes to see in a fresh way, Christ for me, the just for the unjust, in order that He might bring us to God. It was It was so sweet. It was so good. I was a Christian, but I was a new, growing disciple. What's your experience? Maybe you're like me. Maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe a Reformed church. Perhaps you went to a Christian school. Perhaps you know the catechisms, backwards and forwards. And if so, good for you. What a gift. If not, don't sweat it. It's okay. Because here's the key question. If I were to ask you, what do you love about Jesus? would you answer me with a blank look on your face? Or would you have a gleam in your eye and you knew exactly what I was talking about? Because you love Jesus with an undying love. You've sought Him. You've found Him. You love Him. To be a Christian is not to know a set of doctrine. To be a Christian is to seek and find and love a person, our Lord Jesus, the person of Jesus. You seek Him. You find Him. And thirdly, you link Jesus. Did you notice what the text reveals to us? By finding your friend for Jesus. Verse 41, Andrew found Simon. Philip found Nathaniel. Verse 45. You link Jesus by telling your friend of Jesus. Verse 41, we have found the Messiah. Verse 45, we have found him of whom Moses and all the prophets spoke. You find your friend. You tell your friend. You bring your friend to Jesus. Verse 42, Andrew brought Simon. Verse 46, Philip said to Nathanael, come and see. You link Jesus. What's happening here? What's going on? When you see... A beautiful West Michigan sunset, it kindles awe and joy in your heart. And your joy is not complete until you seek and find and bring someone else into the experience. Stop what you're doing. You've got to see this. Come and see who has linked you to Jesus. Steve linked me to Jesus. He was a mature Christian. He worked for a campus ministry. I was a new Christian. And Steve would always tell me, come and see. Henry linked me to Jesus. He was a skilled Bible teacher. I was a confused disciple. And Henry would often say to me, come and see. My friend Byron linked me to Jesus. He had learned this model for counseling ministry from Westminster Theological Seminary. And it just opened my eyes to see how wise, loving counseling ministry can happen. But I didn't know anything about counseling. But Byron linked me to Jesus as a young pastor. Come and see. Who has linked you to Jesus? Do you not thank God for that person, that friend, that family member? Oh, but there's a second question. Who will you link to Jesus? When do I feel most alive? I remember the first time It was December 1984. I was in downtown Atlanta, Georgia. I was paired up with a Christian. I was at a Christian conference. And some of you high schoolers know the experience. When you went to New Jersey, you you talked about Jesus to people. And it was like you became an electric wire just conducting the Electricity of the Spirit. Christ working in you, linking other people through you. Can I tell you a secret? The prerequisite for personal evangelism is this find, move toward, get to know. Come with a posture of humility to a non-Christian. I remember the summer of 2020 when we were getting to know each other, when Cindy and I came up, and we were getting to know you all, and you all were getting to know us. And I remember right before I came, I think it was U.S. News and World Report, I was I was just looking up top cities in America, and do you know what then was the number one city in America for raising a young family? Grand Rapids, Michigan. Now, you know what that tells me? It tells me that we can expect people to be moving into our neighborhood many of them who are unbelievers, many of them who know nothing of Jesus. And wherever we live, wherever we work, wherever we play, God would have us move humbly toward, spend time with, get to know, walk alongside An unbeliever prayerfully asking God, enable me to link this person to Jesus. This is Christian discipleship. Why not speak up and tell your friend about Jesus? Why not invite your friend into a conversation, Sunday worship, a small group? Come and see. This is discipleship from our side of the relationship. See how we are the subject of so many verbs. You see the pattern revealed in the first chapter of John's gospel. You seek Jesus, you find Jesus, you link Jesus. But to stop here would be to mislead you to think that it all starts with you and me. We're not the hero of the story. We're not the main initiator. Jesus is the hero. Christianity is not something that we take up. Christianity is something that takes us up. God by His Spirit bringing us to Himself, taking us up into the life of Jesus. So, let's pivot and start looking at discipleship from Jesus' side of the relationship and see how He is the subject of so many verbs. Three sets of verbs that teach us three simple lessons. First of all, Jesus seeks you. Verse 39, to Andrew and John, Jesus calls, Come and you will see. Verse 43, to Philip, Jesus calls directly, Follow me. Notice, Andrew brings Simon to Jesus, and yes, Philip invites Nathanael to come and see, but did you notice that Philip's invitation to Nathanael is an echo of Jesus' very same invitation to Andrew and John, come and see. It's as though behind the external call, come and see, there's a deeper call, Jesus is seeking you. Has everyone, anyone ever had this experience? You, someone brings you to a Sunday school class, someone invites you to a men's breakfast, someone recruits you for a missions trip, and you get up and go, and you take it all in, and you come out on the other side, and then it dawns on you, behind your friend's invitation was a deeper invitation. Jesus was seeking me. That's why I'm here. He wanted me to be there. Jesus seeks you. Secondly, Jesus finds you. Look how Jesus finds Simon. You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Peter. Verse 42. It is a very searching diagnosis. Jesus knows what Simon is by nature. In Jewish culture, names unveiled something of the character of the person. You remember from Genesis chapter 29, Simon, or Simeon, was the name of Jacob's second oldest son. And you remember his sister, Dinah, was horribly defiled, and Simeon ruthlessly avenged the rash and impulsive character of Simeon was mirrored in Simon. Jesus sees Simon, who Simon is by nature. But notice how Jesus gives a very hopeful prognosis. Jesus knows what Simon will become by grace. In the Bible, naming and renaming a person signals the authority that Jesus has over the person. Jesus says, you shall be called the rock man. Like a slab of granite, you will be my solid and reliable witness. And upon your witness, the witness of the apostles, I will build my church. So maybe you find yourself in a worship service, or maybe in a counseling conversation, or on a short-term missions trip, and you, you come to find out that like Simon, Jesus has found you out. He knows who you are by nature, and you lament. But He shows you who you will become by His divine grace, and you begin to rejoice. Jesus finds you Notice how he finds Simon. Notice, secondly, how he found Nathanael. Verse 47, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. On hearing Philip, Nathanael is skeptical. Come on. What an insignificant town. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And on seeing Nathaniel, Jesus is nevertheless impressed. Jesus sees and loves and approves Nathaniel's purity of heart, this straightforward quality. He says what he means, he means what he says. Unlike down south where everyone's just so nice. He's more like a West Michigander. He shoots straight with you. And Jesus loves that straight shooter. Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile, no deceit. You remember Jacob. His name literally means trickster, deceiver. And you know that story. But not so with Nathaniel. He's a plain speaker. And Jesus sees to the bottom of Nathanael, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I found you. It's an interesting statement in the prophet Micah. The prophet speaks of the day, the coming day, when every man will sit under the fig tree. Chapter 4, verse 4. It's a figure of speech where where that's the location under which God's people will, will listen to God's law and meditate on His Word. So it's very possible, some commentators think, that Jesus is saying, when you were having your morning devotions, when you opened up the text and you were listening to what I say in my Word, I was there. I saw you, in fact, I was the very person you were seeking. I was the very person revealing myself to you in the law. Jesus sees you like that. He reads you like an open book, a little disturbing but it's also very liberating. The piercing gaze of Jesus brings you out of the dark, even as it brought Nathaniel out of the dark. He breaks down all the resistance, and Nathanael says, you know me. You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus seeks you. Jesus finds you. And finally, Jesus links you. Did you notice verse 50 to Nathanael? Jesus says, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And then he turns to all of his disciples and says, Verse 51 Truly, truly, I say to you, you all, we'll see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It's an allusion to Jacob's dream. Genesis 28. Recall, Jacob comes to a certain place to spend the night. He takes a stone for a pillow to lay his head down on and he goes to sleep and Jacob had a dream. Behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and on top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac." The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your descendants. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his dream, and from his sleep he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And he named that place Bethel, which means house of God. So what is Jesus saying? In alluding to Jacob's dream, he's saying to the disciples then, and he's saying to you tonight, I, Jesus, am the ladder between heaven and earth. God comes to you through me and you come to God through me. I am the house of God. I am the gate of heaven. I am the meeting place between God and man. And what Jacob could only dream, you will actually see in me. And you read the Gospels. And you begin to see and love the way Jesus links you to heaven. He links you to give you a new standing before God. God counts your sin as belonging to Jesus. And God condemns this sin by giving Jesus over to death on Friday. God counts Jesus' righteousness as belonging to you. And God affirms this righteousness given to you by raising Jesus from the dead on Sunday. And because of this great exchange, God has given you a new standing before Him through Jesus. But you say, you don't understand Jesus. It's really bad what I've done. It's really bad. And the Father says to you, my Son has linked you to me and you In Christ are my beloved son and daughter, and with you I am well pleased. But it gets even better. Jesus links you to give you a new way of living before God. Because of our sin, because our sin has been justly condemned in the death of Jesus, and because... Our righteousness has been justly affirmed in the resurrection of Jesus. God has sent forth his Holy Spirit to deliver us from the old way of living and into a new way of living through Jesus. But you say, I don't know about that. I, I I'm just too weak. My sin is too strong. And Jesus says to you in the Apostle Paul, Philippians chapter 2, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure, indomitable power. You can do this. I will help you. I will pour my grace into you. Now work out my grace in new living. He's linking you. He's linking you. So, yes, history is punctuated by men and women who have explored great things. But to explore and answer God's call to discipleship is the greatest exploration there ever is. So this new year, 2022, let's you and I let's seek Jesus. Let's find Jesus. Let's link Jesus. All because Jesus has sought you. Jesus has found you. And Jesus has linked you to the Father in heaven. Let's thank him. We do thank You. What would we be doing tonight had You not sought us, found us, and linked us to the Father? We would be groping in the dark. We would be lost and without hope in the world. But Lord Jesus, we thank you that as our great, true elder brother, you have gone into the distant country. You have found us. You have brought us home to the Father. And in you, the Father wraps His arms around us and He welcomes us home. And we get to celebrate your lavish grace. Would you grow us? Would you change us? Would you make us instruments of your grace as we live and work and play and do life in Grand Rapids and beyond? We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing in response Good shepherd of my soul. Please stand together. Let's sing. the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, may He equip you with everything good to do His will, working in you what is pleasing in His sight through Jesus, to whom belongs glory forever and ever, Amen.